Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Environmental Social Justice. Today's special guest is Mr. Tucker Perkins. He is the president and CEO of the Propane Education and Research Council. Today, we're going to be talking about green propane. So welcome to the show, Tucker. Wendy, great to be with you. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. And, you know, I also have to introduce our, my co-host, Ms. Joy Langford. Welcome back, Joy. Welcome. Good to see you. Hi. And so, Tucker, propane is a byproduct of natural gas. How can we make this green? Well, we're making it green, first off, by really changing how we make it from natural gas, doing a lot of work. And just back from working with the producers now is they use less electricity or less energy to even separate the propane from natural gas. The answer to your question, though, really is we're beginning to change its uh, composition and use more renewable sources. So today making it from fats, oils and greases, but also beginning to make it from some plants. In fact, a couple of exciting developments over the last couple of months where one plant in particular, camelina weed, never even heard of it until six months ago, but non-food cover crop, drought tolerant, genetically modified, frankly, to even be more drought tolerant and easily goes from a plant to renewable propane. Carbon intensity will be zero or less. So just a good example of kind of where we are today and where we're going. I think the thing that I always start with is natural gas first, propane second, even today is cleaner than electricity in 38 of the states in the US and, and frankly, in almost all of the balancing authorities. So our goal is always to stay ahead of the electric grid in carbon intensity, that single metric around the climate. And today, as I said, 38 states, we're cleaner than electricity today. So we don't need renewable propane or certified natural gas, renewable natural gas to benefit the environment. Uh, but certainly two decades from now, yes. you and I won't be talking about conventional propane. We'll be talking about almost exclusively renewable propane. In California, you'll be talking about it uh, before 2030, almost as an yes. exclusive fuel. No, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up in the future because everyone is migrating towards a net zero, zero emissions, zero pollution output. And I mean, I am a huge fan of all forms of electricity or rather energy, as long as it doesn't emit carbon, carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, greenhouse gases. So it's going to be hard for people to grasp that propane can be determined to be green because of the, you know, it's just got sort of a, a bad history to it. And what you guys are doing is, as you said, with this plant, I did not know that until this very second that you were using that. So what other uses could propane be used for um, with this new technology? Well, you know, I just finished a, a study, a quantitative study, because I'm, I'm asked that all the time. I know propane as the fuel in my grill. Uh, yes. 42 million homes in America use a propane grill, but they're like, what, what on earth do we use it past that? And, you know, I'm yeah. quick to say, we think about it beyond the natural gas main, 800,000 farms, not farmers, but 800,000 farms use propane every day. Uh, 5 million homes use propane for their primary heat. And another 2 million homes use it for something other than heat, hot water cooking. Um, so when you add all that up, I mean, this morning, 1.2 million children went to school in school buses that were powered by propane. Why? Because it's so much cleaner than diesel. So 
you kind of add all that up. It's this crazy statistic evolves in that propane as an energy is only about two and a half percent of the energy mix in America. Relatively irrelevant, I might add, two and a half percent. Yet we touch 65, 67 percent of the population every day. So it's not unlike this conversation. It's about, you know, being out on the margins and how we do impact things. And really beyond the natural gas main, propane really should be the fuel of choice. Uh, And to your point, Wendy, earlier, you're talking about you support all forms of energy. That's exactly where we are. And, you know, I'm kind of the champion of the wide path theory, right? We, We cannot get beholden. And we're seeing we're seeing a lot of this unfold right now in Europe, sadly. I'm just back from kind of a European yeah. conference studying, you know, exactly what we think is going to go on in Germany and Great Britain and France. But, you know, that the wider the path, to your point, that's lower in carbon, lower in impact on the climate. And then to your listeners, I think specific point, commits to environmental justice. Yeah. All of those fuels should be on the path. And I think five years of fairly intense debate, five years of fairly intense analytics. We're convinced that propane today, renewable propane today are a part of that path. No, and that's a good point to bring up. Um, You know, talking about Germany, they were the poster child for all things renewable. And then I didn't personally realize they were so heavily dependent on natural gas and they're going through some problems right now where they're firing up their coal plants. That is an unfortunate circumstance of events that I guess was not planned for. Um, But that being said, you and I have spoken previously that everyone wants to go renewable energy electric, but we're not there yet with respect to our grid, our raw materials, infrastructure. So doing that overnight simply isn't possible, folks. We need to actually have this this transition, and it's a long path. And Tucker, you're involved in that wide path of getting us there. Um, Because, you you know, eventually we are going to go 100% renewable, 100% green, but it's going to take time. I mean, honestly, it's going to take time. Yeah, I don't. I, I tend to even avoid that word energy transition because transition implies such a smooth and rateable change. I call it a transformation because that's literally what's happening in front of our eyes. It's a transformation. But in a transformation, things change. There are some big boulders in the road. And there are some bright people out there. The chairman of Toyota uh, is one who's kind of said clearly, I believe we're moving too fast. And really, Wendy, to me, it really all comes back and hinges around batteries to a degree or stored energy. Uh, renewables have to have a better way of storing energy than, we're, than we know how to do it today. And um, I'm, I'm more of a technologist probably than anything. I believe that a lot of the technology, the solutions will evolve and get there. But even working with people who are on the cutting edge of batteries, the one thing that reveals to me Everything we're talking about with batteries and energy storage today probably won't be what we're doing just two decades from now. And so, you know, Europe Europe was a good indicator. But uh, again, I don't think we had to have the Ukrainian invasion to see that ultimately maybe Germany was on a bad path, that they weren't they weren't there for energy independence. And, you know, even think about batteries and the minerals about it. I don't think people realize just how much of that is controlled by really China or Chinese interest. Uh, And and I I don't think it's something to be scared of, fearful of, but I think we have to think about it as we plot this transformation to a cleaner climate for sure. 
and that plotting, plotting the transformation is what needs to be done. We can't just leap forward and say, we're going to do this. And Joy and I have spoken um, frequently when we first started this webcast about lithium ion batteries and how there isn't enough raw materials and the mining they want to do around the world. It's going to be a bit devastating to some communities. Joy, if you remember when we talked about the Salton Sea, they yeah, want right. to pull lithium out of that. And, um, you know, it's, I get and it. Just Supply chain and everything else that's going on as well uh, yeah. is not going to help the situation get get us to net zero any faster. If anything, it's going to definitely uh, keep us behind schedule. Absolutely, and you know, I'm I really I'm always trying to find the positive solutions and not really dwell on the why we are not able to do things. But really, when it comes to batteries as we know them today and the minerals that go into that, we've really been outrun. I think by China to a degree as they were thinking about lithium or cobalt or nickel. I don't know. I mean, we all live in a beautiful country and I, I just don't see mining of those materials being really prevalent in the U.S. as we think about the other issues, land use, water use, uh, you know, uh, worker rights. There's a reason that goes on in Afghanistan and Chile and, uh, you know, all through Africa, for sure. Yeah, and right. Joy being a water expert, I mean, she knows about the side effects of contamination and our water. Absolutely. Supply. Horrible. I mean, you study what's going on in Chile right now. It's it's unconscionable, you know, what, how they've been damaging their own environment to mine certain minerals. But I think and I think that's that's the point. And I certainly not here to really I mean, I'm here to see we entered this debate not really to to defend propane. We entered this debate to see how does it all fit. And I think where we come back to day in, day out, is that there are fuels today that are lower in carbon than a lot of fuels we use today. Diesel is the obvious choice, right? Anytime we can move from diesel to propane, from diesel to natural gas, it's a great positive step. And you think about your own travels, people who have diesel generators, mobile generators, Diesel-powered vehicles. All of those now have propane options. Diesel shipping. Uh, now moving to propane-powered shipping. Uh, I was recently in the port of Long Beach, and I just stood, stood there for 30 minutes, almost amazed at how much diesel fuel was being consumed to the detriment of the communities that surround Long Beach, and they they are ready to be propane today. And I'm happy to say we're moving propane equipment in there at rates that I'm not used to seeing, it'll lower the cost, improve the reliability, but more importantly than anything, I think to me, it'll change the lives of the children who live adjacent to the port because immediately the air is going to clean up from not greenhouse gas issues, but from uh, environmental issues like particulate matter and NOx that really impact, impact everybody's breathing, but really have a horrific impact on young lungs or, you know, older population. And that to me, again, classic story of justice and equity. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just to clarify for people listening in, when you burn certain petroleum products, the particulate matter, the small particles will go up into the atmosphere, move with the wind, but then rain down on the neighborhoods. And that gets absorbed into lungs for children, you know, everybody, but especially children and the elderly, it will cause permanent lung damage, which is why certain communities that have higher asthma rates, these children were affected more um, hostily by COVID. Any kind of flu will be more affected. So it's known carcinogen. Known carcinogen. Yeah. Exactly. And again, I think, Wendy, that's part of the issue is we, 
you know, the narrative has been around the only path to a clean climate is through electrification and people forget to realize sometimes where electricity comes from. I mean, this war about fossil fuels versus electricity, I'm quick to say, I think coal, oil and wood are dirty and, you know, not really shouldn't be used. But electricity that comes from coal, oil and wood, it's even dirtier because it's at least it's at least it's not used directly and it's completely inefficient. And, you know, I think that's I always go back to, you know, thinking about Long Beach or L.A. in the concept around justice, because if you raise electric demand, those electric facilities make more electricity. What we realize today is those next incremental sources are often not the next cleaner sources. They're the next dirtier sources. And, you know, now who is who is most impacted? The people who live in the communities that surround those power stations. Oh, exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, it's as you said, it's a, it's a slow transformation. It's going to take time, but we are going in the right direction and we need to take every step thoughtfully. Yes. And leaping headfirst into like the new hot, cool technology. And, you know, when I support, you know, all forms of energy, with the exception of coal and petroleum, you know, uh, gasoline and diesel. I mean, I've talked to people about hydrogen, huge fan of hydrogen, magnetics. Um, geez, even some person talked about getting electricity out of rhubarb. Who knew? We have right. a multitude of sources and we need to be thoughtful in what we do next. And with, you know, with propane, people are still going to say, oh, you know, that's a big fat lie. You know, you guys are making it up. You are very much a scientist and a technology expert. So you have no reason to make things up. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that at least the first thing we had to do is come to grips with the climate and involve in the in the debate. And I had yeah. to weed out of our team anyone who wanted to be a climate denier. Right. There's no there's no spot in moving forward in being a denier. So, you know, the first thing is to come to grips with the science uh, and and move forward. And then the second thing was to really evaluate, could we, in fact, be a part of the solution? Or should we all go do something else? And I think, you know, we we are vigorously involved in technological advancements. And it it fascinates me that we all believe that the electric grid may be dirty today, but over the time, the grid will clean up. We'll introduce hydrogen. We'll introduce more solar and wind and more geothermal. The grid will clean up. But we fail to realize that uses like specifically for me, propane, uh, natural gas, nuclear, will oh. will change will change in technology we will evolve and we'll be radically different ourselves just like the grid it can be radically different in a decade from now i think the one thing we're really eager to help change the conversation around decarbonizing now right yeah. not wait a decade not wait two decades i mean let's be real the next version of nuclear could easily be two to three decades out if we think about science, permitting, construction, all that, Very we're true. able to provide options that decarbonize today. Remove diesel where possible, use propane where possible. Uh, use uh, in power, uh, use, we're, we're more involved in power this week than I think we were in the previous five years combined. Uh, oh, wow. And well beyond America, right? We're, we're providing yeah. power all through the Caribbean because we're so much cleaner than the choices they made a decade ago, which were oil or wood or, you know, now now we're able to put in hybrid systems that solar, propane, wind, wind, solar, propane. Uh, and we're, we're bringing a lot of those systems into the U.S. right now. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Um, so what can people expect, oh, hypothetically, five years from now, from what you're, you're working on? What can we well, I think one see? thing we see five years from now, but but occurring today as well, is just a complete change in transportation, moving oh. away from diesel fuel into propane applications. We're in a cool partnership with Cummins. Uh, we really right. have the next evolution of a propane fueled engine. And it's not around what you drive in your car. Uh, it's really around what commercial fleets drive where payload and range matter. UPS, yeah. FedEx, uh, your local Pepsi delivery, uh, the U.S. mail. We're deeply involved with all of those industries, uh, decarbonizing them rapidly. And so, one, I think you'll see a massive change in transportation from diesel to propane. I think you'll see a change in power generation and not not big utility scale plants, uh, microgrids, uh, yep. how the hospital backs up its power system. Because today they, they automatically think about diesel and we're beginning to see the more progressive hospitals, prisons, nursing homes, people that use power of that size, thinking about propane. Easier to store, much cleaner to burn, uh, frankly, much cheaper today than diesel fuel. And then the last I'm excited is you're going to see a big change on in the coast around how we propel ships that come into the ports and then frankly how the ports move the goods and services around it'll intensely electric because a lot of those big cranes and things are electric driven but a lot of that other support equipment the smaller forklifts uh will be propane today while we wait for the electric grid to evolve while we wait for hydrogen to evolve and we're we're really involved in some nice hydrogen projects in Canada. Oh. We're blending propane yeah. and hydrogen into networks in uh, the south of the U.S. We're actually using excess electricity to make hydrogen. But then we turn that hydrogen into renewable propane, which is much easier to store, transport, and ultimately use. So, oh, yeah. so much innovation going on around this you know, molecule uh, called propane. Oh, I, I love how you guys are really thinking about everything holistically. You are thinking of every baby step along the way to get us to a cleaner environment with the, with the materials and the capabilities we have today. That's important. Which is extreme. Yeah, that's extremely important. Um, and let's be honest, folks, we're going to be using more electricity. We're not going to be using less. Our demand keeps going up every single day. So we have to start preparing for so more. Says this heat wave and everything that's going on with that. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And when, you, and when you it's really scary to me to a degree when you study the growth in the electric usage. And so the ultimate increase in electricity and even mm -hmm. look to some other countries. You wish it was that we were going for cleaner sources, but in fact, to supply that extra demand you kind of go for whatever you can get. And, you know, again, you just have to be thoughtful about getting ahead of this growth. And I think that's where I continue to say without nuclear, without natural gas. And if you have natural gas, you're going to have propane because it's a necessary byproduct, if you will, of the, and, and you bring it all together and you look, you look at where Germany is today, where Europe is today, and they've lost energy independence. And as you know, as Americans, we can really take great pride in the fact that today we have energy independence. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, I am sure I don't think I am sure that we can move to a cleaner climate, one where people can afford the solutions and oh, still yes. not lose our energy independence. 
affordability is very important because, you know, we all know how expensive electric cars are and it's, you know, the prices are coming down, but that's the biggest complaint. People want to be green. They want to drive that new car, but they can't. And being affordable is important. As I think I've told you maybe five years ago, I really wasn't aware of really what environmental and social justice could mean in this in this conversation in this context and now it's i think it's the heart of almost all of our analytics is how do we provide clean healthy but affordable solutions that are accessible because if the everyday person can't access it so they first have to be able to access these solutions and secondly they have to be able to afford it um they're really not benefiting you know us or our climate and I'm quick. I, I never separate climate from health and justice. That's, to me, it's a it's a trio that's always touching. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we were talking about how everyone likes to silo. Well, social justice is separate from DEI, is separate from climate, is separate from sustainability. It's not. We need to dress all of these together as one thing. The second you separate them out, you have individuals kind of fighting for attention. It won't work. It'll fail. So we, you know, as Tucker has talked about joy, you have as well. All of these need to be discussed simultaneously and cooperatively. Cooperation. And, and just kind of keeping that wide path. And then, as you say, keeping all the science in front of you, you know, because so, so often people, I mean, electric vehicles are the classic example. I drive a zero emission vehicle. Well, you do until you really think about the batteries or charging it. I mean, the, the, those systems are quite complex. And we just need, I think, be mindful of, you know, what economists would call the full economic analysis or the full cycle. You know, sometimes people call it cradle to grave, however you like to talk about it. But, you know, when you think about some of these systems in that context of from beginning to end, it's a very different environmental footprint. And so, you know, our job has been to not only think about that for our own uses, but also think about it about these competing fuels uh, and thinking about where do we, where do we, where are we able to be in four, five years, 10 years, 20 years? Because with certainty, the clock is ticking and we need to decarbonize today and we need to make rapid shifts in decarbonization a decade from now. Oh, and can I just add in, can we stop talking and start doing folks? Right. Everyone loves to have a conference or a meeting or a discussion or a paper. Implement. We know what needs to be done. You know, we quote, we quote a great philosopher often that the uh, good is the enemy of perfect, right? Um, or perfect Ooh. is the enemy of good, right? And I think so often people, and th- this is the debate I find, people want to step over really good rateable solutions today while waiting for perfect. And you don't have to go very deep into climate science to realize the cumulative effect of carbon today. And here we possess, I mean, really, let's, I think we should be real, that most of the gains we've seen in climate today have resulted from replacing coal or oil with natural gas. And we really need to probably do a little bit more of that natural gas and propane as we move to that next step, which would be much deeper penetration of renewables uh, and, and probably a, a more robust pipeline of nuclear projects as well. Yeah, and I know that's I, a hot button for a lot of people, but I also think it's just a, a, a reality we have to face. If we want to use cell phones and drive electric cars and 
uh, have heat pumps, uh, and we want to live to the standard of living we have to, we're going to have to, we're probably going to have to rely on nuclear power as a part of that solution just because of energy density. Absolutely. We're not not going to fill up our entire planet with, uh, you know, uh, solar panels or, or wind turbines. No, we need we need options. And I did interview right. a woman on, on nuclear power um, a couple months ago. Very enlightening in conversation. And it, you know, as she said, this is not the nuclear power of the 1970s. This is no. not Three Mile Island or Chernobyl or any of that. This is all new technology. So um, you know, we won't diver- we won't diverge into that. Just check out but, the, that interview. But that same level of innovation, I think, is always interesting. It's coming to us as well as we think about this new brand of engines, a new brand of water heater, frankly, a new brand of furnace for your home. Uh, you know, we're achieving, mo- I always say modern engineering has met modern production management, and we're doing things today uh, that I don't really think we dreamed that we would do five years ago. Oh, yeah. Of- of terms of efficiencies and cost of operation and cleanliness. It's uh, it's it's a beautiful evolution. And really, I don't see a stop to it yet by any means. No, we are we are growing and accelerating with our knowledge base, which is the most important thing. And, right. you know, more of the youngins are getting into the engineering, which I personally <laughs> love. Um, yeah. But Tucker, so when people want to find you at the Propane Education and Research Council, I wanted to make sure I got that correct. How can they find you if they want to learn more about this? Well, we love to drive them to our website. We spend a lot of time just beginning to educate people in this. And the website address is propane.com. Oh, uh, it's, a, it's a great place just to go. And there's a whole environmental tab. And frankly, if you are a physicist and you want to see the details, the quite a few white papers there. But a lot of it is aimed at just the everyday person who's trying to understand in fact, how could propane today, renewable propane tomorrow, fit into the debate? And what are the opportunities to lower my carbon footprint by using a fuel that a lot of people didn't think about? So it's propane.com. And, uh, and I love uh, the fact you talk to the people. You're not doing all high level because we try to do that here in ESJ. You know, no acronyms, no high level jargon. We are trying to communicate to everyone not just people in our little sphere of influence. So I like it's interesting. One of the things I'm often impacted by policy, but because we really don't lobby, we don't lobby governments. We don't lobby. We, we work with manufacturers. We worked with a lot of end users. I talk about UPS and FedEx, but I'd also talk about the farming community or, you know, the medical community, you know, we work with the end users who are impacted, uh, because you know, we, we, we really do start with that grassroots effort. And it's been it's been a rewarding experience. We really engaged in this just five or six years ago to really begin to think about what, what does the future look like and how do we get to a clean climate? Does propane, in fact, have a role? Uh, we're, I don't think people realize that America produces more propane than any other place in the world by far. I did not um, know that because we produce more natural gas as well. And so today we export large quantities to Europe, to Asia, to South America, to Central America. Um, But, you know, for us, we've been trying to figure out how can we keep this in the climate debate? Yes. Using it to to drive down our carbon emissions and produce solutions, as we said, that people can access and afford. Oh, absolutely. No, and, and that's the most important thing is these steps to clean 
because it's not overnight. It's going to take time, but affordability. And yeah. that's what you guys are focusing on. So Tucker, I will leave you with that. I thank you so much for your time. Guys, check out propane.com. Check out Tucker. They're doing great things. And, you know, if you have questions about propane or you're just not buying it, reach out, read the papers, check the technology. These are all steps to a cleaner environment since there will be no overnight solution. So on that, I'm Wendy Nystrom with Environmental Social Justice with my co-host, Ms. Joy Langford, the beautiful Joy Langford. And Mr. Tucker, thank you so much. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care. Joy, Wendy, thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you.